Episode of Life in Paradise podcast with me, your host, the very, very talented and wonderful and great, the very man who does very, very great things, Mr. Brandon Harper. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and lots and lots of opinions. So I come here about once every week or so to get them off my chest. I feel like the world would be a better place if we could all agree to disagree and have fun making fun of each other's opinions. There's nothing wrong at laughing about opinions. Somehow or another, we've ended up in this situation where anyone who has an opinion against the grain is immediately labeled as fill in the blank. Take your pick. Well, I'm here to change that because respectfully we can disagree and still have a good time about it. The world would be a terribly boring place if we all felt the same way about everything. I talk about a little bit of everything, mainly things that I learned about throughout the week. So that's typically a little politics, a little current events. Lately, it's been global events, some crypto, some finance, a little bit of dog training sprinkled in, and a lot of just nonsensical ramblings. And if there's one thing you need to know about me, it's that I do not do pre-recorded intros. I don't know how my intros have gotten so long, but here they are. Anyway, sit back, relax, and let me be the boss for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. Maybe even an hour. Welcome back, everybody. I know I missed last week because I was busy. I was busy doing something that I grew up doing, and it was a frequent occurrence. And a lot of people think that I did this too much, but they just don't get it. And I went to a family reunion, <laughs> and I laughed because anyone who knows me says that I get family reunioned to death. <laughs> And when I was growing up, I, I used to. I, we, we do my dad's side family reunion, my mom's side family reunion, and then my mom's side would have like a every six-month reunion, and then we would go to my mom's hometown of Fort Worth like every freaking holiday. And so all my friends used to tease me and say, hey, what are you doing? You going to be around for Christmas? And I'd say, oh, no, I'm going to. And then they would say, let me guess, a family reunion. <laughs> and so they're they're – Less frequent now, but I still make it a point to go. I come from a pretty big family. Well, not a big immediate family, but my grandmother was one of 13. And so she and all her, all her siblings remained close throughout their life. And so because of that, my mom was close to her aunts and uncles and cousins. And so every year they would all get together and have a big reunion and fry catfish and drink a little bit too much and tell stories. And so that's that's what we did this year. And... um 
it was fun. You know, we went to a new place. Everyone's always concerned about going to the, the new place. And what's everybody going to think? And uh, typically, you know, it's been like a lodge out in East Texas when I was a real little kid. And it was just an old bunker. And it was not, it was not nice, but it was fun. And then every 10 or 15 or 20 years, there's a new place that we go to. And they get a little bit nicer, a little bit nicer each each step up. So that tells me that our our family came up out of poverty. So that's where I was last week. Hanging out with all the wise people, learning about history, and pontificating with people I disagree with. So that was that. It was about a seven-hour drive there. I cooked for about 40 people. On Saturday, that was about 12 hours worth of cooking, and then a seven-hour drive home on Sunday. Ugh, I am so ready for self-driving cars. I cannot tell you enough how ready I am. But you didn't come here to hear me talk about my family union, so I'm going to get right into it. The first thing I have is a little bit of a clip of our president, the great fearless leader of the entire world, the most powerful country on the planet here he is calling for a person who has been deceased to stand up but once again i want you to listen to how he speaks and how it's just uh, so struggling you got a little feature like he's he's about to fall asleep like it wouldn't surprise me if he just closed his eyes and fell over it is. This is bad, guys. I know you probably get tired of it, but you know why I do this? So you can tell everyone else, and they can tell everyone else. And this is not just a... Right-wing conspiracy theory. This is actually happening. Actually happening. And I want to thank all of you here, for including bipartisan elected officials like Representative Governor, Senator Braun, Representative Governor. Senator Booker, Representative... Jackie, are you here? Nope, Who's Jackie's Jackie? dead. I didn't think she was. Yeah, she's she dead. Be here. Yeah, you're right. To help make this a reality. And thanks to Senator Stabenow. Once again. Jackie, are you here? Jack, are you Jackie, are you here? Jackie, are you here? No, Jackie's Where's dead. Jackie? Booker, Representative. Jackie, are you here? No, Where's she's Jackie? dead. I didn't think she was. She was going to be here. Where's Jackie? She's dead. I didn't think she was. She was <laughs> Sorry, I can't help it. Help make this Where's a Jackie? Here? Where's Jackie? She's dead. I didn't think she was. I, know, she I can't was stop. I can't here. stop. Sorry. To help. Anyway, here, I'll, I'll play through all the way now with no commentary, all right? Just listen to the slurry speech, mushy-mouthed, confused old man. Old man, I get it. He's old. He's old. We shouldn't elect him. We should not elect these people. Here's why. And I want to thank all of you here, for including bipartisan elected officials like Representative Governor, Senator Braun, Senator Booker, Representative Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie. I didn't think she was, she was going to be here to help make this a reality. And thanks to Senator Stabenow, Representative DeLauro, for their leadership. And here today uh, we have advocates and activists. Uh, Jose Andreas, you heard of him, haven't you? I don't care what you say. You will never convince me that this guy's better than Trump. Better than Trump. He's better than Trump. No, no, he's, he's really not. I promise you, he's not. Now, so you heard that. Here's the clip of Pierre Jean-Pierre whatever her name is, the White House spokesperson, who I don't know why anyone in their right mind would sign up for this job. I don't know how much they get paid, but I sure hope it's a lot. But yeah, so this girl, this poor girl, gets paid 
to walk back everything the president says, and she has to come up with excuses and reasons and all the things that why he just mumbles and makes gaffes all day. And bless her little heart, you know she she's got to come up with it. But they did not pick this woman because of her superior ability to deflect difficult questions. They didn't select her because she's powerful behind the podium and she commands respect. They picked her because of her skin color, of her gender, of her sexual preference, and and a few other little things that this is this is how people are being appointed now. This is what this is what we're using as selection criteria. And that's why you're going to get people who have to answer questions like this the way they do. So here's her answer when asked why the president was looking around the room. And don't forget, he didn't just mention her. He said, where is she? Is she here? Oh, I thought she wouldn't be here. She died in a car crash in August. So the president was, uh, as you all know, you guys were watching uh, today's event, a very important event on uh, food insecurity. The president was naming uh, the congressional champions on this issue and was acknowledging her incredible work. He had uh, he had already uh, planned to welcome the congresswoman's family uh, to the White House on Friday. There will be a, a bill signing in her honor this coming Friday. Uh, so, of course, she was on his mind. She was of top of mind uh, for the president. He uh, looks very much looks forward to discussing her remarkable legacy of public service with them when he sees her family this coming Friday. He said, Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? She must not be here. No, I totally understand. I just, I just explained she was on top of mind. Uh, um, you know, this wasn't what we were able to witness today and what the president was able to lift up uh, in this uh, at this conference at this event uh, was how her uh, her focus on um, wanting to uh, uh, deal with combat food insecurity in America. And this is something that he was lifting up and honoring. And again, he knows that he's going to see her family this coming Friday. There is a bill signing. Okay, okay, okay. You get the idea. You get the idea. These people have absolutely no business being in power. She never answers anything. She always just stumbles. Okay. I know you didn't come here to hear me bash on what I I don't know why I can't ever remember her name. It's like Karine Jean Pierre. And I don't know if Jean Pierre is her last name or if she tried to just throw a little French in there. But either way. Corrine Jean-Pierre does her best to cover for Slurry Joe. The craziest thing about the whole thing is that he's like he's there to honor her, to to recognize her legacy or something, you know, that he's there because she died. That's why he's there. And he doesn't remember that she died. I just I don't get it. You you know my stance, you know my viewpoint. I I just don't understand how people who say oh he's better than trump have have not backtracked on that i don't understand how the media that pushed for him to win the election can still stand behind the sentiment of this is the right leader this is who we need for the country oh have i mentioned that they've now stopped selling semiconductors to china oh have I mentioned now that a bunch of American citizens who worked in China 
for these Chinese semiconductor companies were faced by the president to either quit their jobs working for these Chinese semiconductor companies or they're going to lose their American citizenship. The mainstream media has not picked this up, but this has gone somewhat viral on Twitter that people are walking out of the job sites where they're making these semiconductors. These are highly trained, highly skilled American engineers over there. And they're, they're just, they've left. And so these guys who work in these factories have said on Twitter, we're watching people just leave. We are watching people walk out. This, this is a huge thing. This is going to shut down China's chip economy. So we've got all mushy brain up there making decisions or being told what decisions to make and then taking the downfall for these decisions. He doesn't know what he's doing. So imagine if, imagine how great it would be if I could do whatever I wanted to do to the country and make it go whatever direction I wanted it to go. And I could have someone else take the pitfall for things didn't go right. I could have outlandish ideas and creative solutions to unconventional wisdom and things that like typically you wouldn't want to put your nuts in the chopping block. But since you're controlling this guy, this puppet, Biden, you can just tell him to do whatever you want. And he has to take the fall for it. This, this is why decisions are being made that are ridiculous, that are not conventional that are not thought through. It's proving to us that there's someone making decisions behind the scenes that does not have to take the fall. And that's scary for me. That's scary. I don't like that. You know what? You may disagree. You may think, you know what? I like it. I like the fact that there's somebody behind the curtain that's controlling the wizard or controlling the scarecrow and the tin man. I, I, I feel better that way. It makes me feel safer knowing that there's someone uh, playing puppeteer and that, he can, he can be as risky with our country as he wants to be. That's fine. I understand that. That is entirely your decision. But I don't like that. I'm not a big fan of that. Now, who's responsible? I say, who's responsible for this unwarranted attack on my person? And I've loved kids jumping on my lap. I don't want to hear any more about you don't know, like looking at them. Putin may circle Kiev with tanks, but he'll never gain the hearts and souls of the Iranian people. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by go. You know the you know the thing. How are you, baby? How old are you? How old are you? Almost double figures. You may cut me, man, but I'm gonna wrap this chain around your head. You know, one thing I talk about a lot is leadership, and leadership is something that I feel like. Either someone has it or they don't. Now, you can hone your leadership skills. You can you could become a more effective leader. But leaders are evident at a young age. These are, these are the kids that everyone follows around and that everyone kind of wants to be like and the kids that get to make the decisions for the group. Now, that's when, when I say the kids who make the decisions for the group, these are the kids who everyone looks to for the decisions, right? Because you also have the types of people, or you start to see in kids, are the bossy ones. These are the ones who want to be in charge, and they want to be the one making decisions, and they, they want to be the one that everyone looks up to. And even though they might not be, they get really good at figuring out how to weasel themselves into that position, whether it's because 
they can take the best toys and they can use them for bartering. Or maybe it's because they have the house that everyone wants to go hang out at so that they can use that to their advantage. And they'll say, if you're not nice to me, we're not going to jump on the trampoline. If you don't let me have that toy, then you're not coming over this weekend. And my mom just bought tons of candy, right? I'm not talking about anyone specific. I'm just talking about generally. This is a this is a personality type. And I don't know, since I don't have kids, if this is something that's learned or inherent. I don't I don't know. Probably a little bit of both, right? I feel like you can probably take a kid from an early age and teach them how to be leaders and teach them how to be confident. And and kids also learn by seeing things that their parents do. And they also develop insecurities and they they look for ways to fill these holes and to fill the gaps and to fill their needs. And I think that that personality type is developed at such a young age that it carries all the way through your life. And it's the two ends of the spectrum, I feel like you're either the type of person who's willing to stand behind decisions and make your own path and blaze your own way, or the other extreme is someone who just is happy to go along and do what they're told to do and doesn't want trouble and then you have everyone in between that. And somewhere in the middle there, you have someone that kind of wants to have their own way, but they don't really want to make waves. They don't want to piss anyone off, but they really they want things to be their way. So those are the kind of people that use incentives and rebates and motivators to try to try to convince people to do things my way. Because if you do, I'll give you this instead of saying, here's the best way that I think to do something. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. Don't do it. Elect someone else. See, we're at a point now where it's become more important to these people that they get to stay in power, that they get to be the ones who are making the decisions. And I think somewhere along the lines of being the children who, you know, want to have the best toys so that they can have the best friends and politicians who end up using things to negotiate their reelections Somewhere along the lines, they were put in a position to where it worked. And and using these things was able to satisfy their, their desires for being the ones in charge. And I think the types of kids who were just the natural leaders, the types of kids that everyone just wanted to hang out with them. And I, and I, I know I'm probably not doing a good job explaining this, but I think you probably know the types of two different types of people that I'm talking about. And the types of people who are naturally good at leading, these are guys who end up, you know, leading giant companies. These are guys who end up leading the military. These are people that, you know, community leaders that actually get things done. And these aren't the guys who sit on city council and they and they bicker over, you know, which street are we going to fix first? Those, in my opinion, those are the those are the types who who want to win the the student body election and. Not because that they they want to make a difference or change the way that the school works, but because it's like a popularity contest to them. And I don't know, since I'm only 44 years old, I don't know where along the lines things shifted. But I do feel like that our, our founding fathers were more like the natural leaders. They were more like the people that said, hey, uh, here's what I think we need to do, and here's why. And here's what we don't need to do, and here's why. And if you don't like it, then vote for someone else. If you like it, then vote for me. And I wish so badly that that's how politics worked. But because there's so many incentives that go along with being in office, people just care the most about being in office. So they do all sorts of research. 
you know, to figure out how to win voters and how to get this person to vote for me, how to get this person to vote for me, because they just want to win the election. If they were true leaders, if they were natural leaders, and they they had a vision for the country, if they couldn't communicate that to win the votes, they would say, oh, well, I'll go do something else. I know I can lead something. I know I can go somewhere and people will follow me. And if it's not going to work in the government, well, then I'll go do something else. You see, it's two different types of people. And this is what I, I noticed this because I saw uh, Greg Abbott and Beto O'Rourke debate each other a couple weeks ago. And it really was one of the most saddest debates I've ever seen in my life. Because neither of those two guys have any power whatsoever. And although, you know, people say, oh, you just saying that because you're in your wheelchair. has nothing to do with that. Well, I'll leave that aside, right? I just don't think either one of those two people were leaders. Now, if you look at someone like Ron DeSantis, which, you know, everyone loves to hate Ron DeSantis if you hate the Republicans. But give him this. Give him the fact that he just... He makes his decisions and he goes with it. And he even said himself, I'm going to stand on my principles. If I don't get elected, then I don't get elected. And even if you despise everything Republican or everything that you know has to do with Donald Trump, you hate them all. You just hate all the Republicans. You hate all the conservatives. At least you can look at an individual and say, you know what? At least this guy says what he thinks. And there's a couple Democrats who do that. AOC, you know, these poor people, the Rashida Tlaib or whatever her name is. So although they say what they think, I don't agree with it. I think they're silly people that don't have much life experience, but at least they're willing to put themselves out there. And there are some silly people who are willing to vote for them. And I completely understand that that's how a lot of people feel about Ron DeSantis. And I'm perfectly okay with that. But I just, I looked at the debate of, of Abbott and Beto and they're just, they're both just weak individuals. Like, if those guys got thrown into prison, they'd be host. Because that's where you can see, like, who's a true leader, who's confident in themselves. And, and that doesn't just mean that, like, you're going you're gonna to fight anyone you need to fight. It just means that you could go in there and you could, you could negotiate the social circles of a prison. Or you could, you could walk into a situation of, of people that you don't know and, and you'll be fine. And that's not, in my opinion, that's the way a leader should be. A leader should be fine in, in going into an unknown situation and having confidence in themselves to figure out who do I need to ask for help? Who do I need to get to be on my team? What do I need to do to sort through this situation that I'm in right now? And that is more the characteristics of a leader than, than our current politician. If everyone would just stand in their beliefs then the voters would be forced to pick. We would still have to pick someone, but we would have the most accurate representation of what the people wanted. And I feel like that probably coincides with the way that our forefathers envisioned the country being. With faith in each other, anything is possible. So say it with me. Si se puede. Say it with me. Si se puede. Si se puede. That will never get old. That clip will never, ever, ever, ever get old. As distinct as the bogadas of the Bronx. Bodegas. The bogadas of the Bronx. As the bogadas of the Bronx. Bodegas. As distinct as the bogadas of the Bronx. 
as beautiful as the blossoms of Miami and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio. Basically, you people are like breakfast tacos, says Dr. Biden. She can't say puede. She can't say si se puede. She can't say bodega. She calls them bogodas. And then she compares the people of San Antonio to breakfast tacos. You cannot make this up. You cannot. Okay, moving along. I didn't really have an intention to go on a Jill Biden uh, rabbit hole, but I had to. You know, sometimes sometimes these things pop into my brain, and I just got to go with them. All right, uh, I am, next am going to talk about, let me see here, look at my notes. Oh, yeah, Russia, the mother Russia. So... A couple weeks ago, which I feel like, man, when I miss a weekend of podcast, I feel like I'm doing old news. But a couple weeks ago, uh, Putin and his homies marched up into the eastern half of Ukraine, and they said, this is now part of Russia. We will annex this property, and it will be Russia. And so they had a big ceremony in uh, Moscow to declare their new territory of the Ukraine. And the, and the Zelensky, the, the professional actor, who's now the president of Ukraine, going, but no, you cannot take from us. We do not let go. And Putin's going, yes, but I already took and you did nothing, so it will be mine. So Putin got up and he gave this long speech, and I read just about every word of it. Of course, it was translated in English. I don't I don't speak Russian yet. So I read through the speech, and I thought, you know what? This is way too much to, to go through on the pod, but I wanted to pick an area that I thought speaks near and dear to my own heart and i know there's a lot of people out there that say you're just a russian sympathizer and you love putin and you're a right-wing conspiracy theorist and i suspect that they haven't read much about putin or russia or what's actually happening in the ukraine but that's okay it's okay so here's a couple things putin said um, in his speech at the annexation ceremony. So Putin goes on and on and on and talks about, you know, how bad the West is and how they've boxed him up and they've done the opposite of what they said they were going to do. And I'm going to read to you just a little excerpt here. But I learned one thing. I learned that he hate us. That dude does not like the USNA. But, okay, here's a clip. Here, here's a clip that he that he wrote from a speech that I felt like, man, this... Um, my dude's kind of got a point there, you know. I, he he kind of do be saying it how it be, all right? But people cannot be fed with printed dollars and euros. It is impossible to feed with these pieces of paper. Now, remember that this is probably like a Google Translate, so there might be some, some mess-ups, right? And it is impossible to hear it at home, the virtual inflated capitalization of Western social networks. All of this is important. What I'm talking about, but what was just said is no less important. You can't feed anyone with paper money. I'm going to repeat that. You can't feed anyone with paper money. You need food. And you won't warm anyone with these inflated capitalizations. You need energy. Now, the guy could not be any more right. And what he, need, what he means about paper money is that printed money, the money that you've created, you, USA, and all of you Western European countries that have created your own money, you will not be able to feed your people with that money. You will need food. You will need energy. And he's saying you don't have it. Okay, I'm going to continue on. Therefore, politicians in the same Europe 
have to convince their fellow citizens to eat less, wash less often, and dress warmer at home. And those who begin to ask fair questions, quote, actually, why is that so, end quote, are immediately declared enemies, extremists, and radicals. They switch arrows to Russia. They say, here, who is the source of all your troubles? They lie again. And that's the end, that's the end of the speech that I'm going to be reading. The message said, end of message. And as much as I hate to say it, I agree with, with Vladimir Putin about his sentiments here in this, in this one section. The whole speech he basically talks about, here's all the things you said you weren't going to do. Here's all the things you did. You, got, you guys have gone back on all your promises, and we're done. We're tired of it. We're not dealing with it anymore. And so we might agree or disagree about what's best for the world and what's best for the people of Russia, but in his point of view, he's saying that you guys said you're going to do this. I told you I would do that, and you didn't, and so I did. So I don't know. The guy's got a point. The guy has a point. Is it right to go bomb innocent people and kill people and destroy cities? No, no, it's, it's probably not right. But we poked the bear, and now he's awake. Now we got to deal with him. But the line that stuck out the most was the part about the politicians in Europe who have to convince their fellow citizens to use less energy, to wear more clothes, to eat less food. And that's true. How many times do we hear politicians saying, we have to conserve energy. We can't use water. You can't water your grass. You can't do this. You can't eat cows. You, I mean, it's on and on and on. There's something new every day that we're not allowed to do for one reason or another. And what Putin is saying is, dear Westerners, you guys have made your bed. Now you're about to lie in it. You thought you could put sanctions on Russia. Now they're backfiring. Now you're not going to have enough energy. And guess who's going to get it instead? China. See, what happened was you had the countries of Western Europe go, Putin is a terrorist and we have to stop buying oil from him. And so everyone, you know, there's like four or five countries in Western Europe and the U.S. all go, yeah, we're not going to buy oil from you anymore. Hoping that China and Eastern Europe and India and Iran would all jump on board. But they didn't. So now... The countries who abandoned Russian oil have shot themselves in the foot because that's think about oil as just a global marketplace. It doesn't matter where it comes from. It's the same product. I know, I know, I know. There's some general differences. But for the most part, crude oil, natural gas is a commodity. It can be used anywhere in the world, and it's the same no matter where you buy it. But because we thought we were going to put Russia in a bind by saying, we're not buying any more of your oil, dude. And we, we thought the rest of the world would jump on board and it would just isolate Russia and they would wither and die. Well, that didn't happen because the rest of the world is smart enough to know why would we cut off production? We need oil right now. Everyone is trying to get back on board after COVID. We're trying to get production back up. We need energy. We need it to be free flowing. We need to be able to get it cheaply so that we can continue to make progress. But here we are. Here we are. There's You mark my word. There will be a global energy crisis uh, in the next two years, one to two years. In the next six months to two years is my guess. It'll be Europe first, then it'll be Asia, Central Asia, and then it'll be probably the U.S. And what happens is shortages. What happens is because what they start doing is they start putting price caps on fuel. And they say, you can't charge any more than this. Well, 
price caps always, always, always lead to, that's right, shortages, shortages. Whenever you put a maximum price on something, eventually there's no way to allocate it. And this kind of spins me into my next my next uh, topic is what Belarus did. I don't did I talk about this already? I don't I don't think I did. I don't know. Belarus is a tiny little country. I think it's next to Russia, near Russia. You know, I'm not gonna pretend like I know, but it's over there. He's homeboys with Putin. You know, they they want to cripple the West together, so that's cool. They can do their thing. But last week, or maybe it was a week before, the president of Belarus came out and said no more increase of prices. After October 6th, we will not increase the price on anything. It will be illegal to raise prices. Well, this is because inflation's hitting them so hard, their prices are going up. And as we know from history, whenever you put a cap on price, you end up with a shortage. Because if people produce something, they need to get X amount of dollars in return for that. And if you say you are not allowed to raise your prices anymore but their input costs go up, well, they'll just quit making it because why would they want to lose money? Why would they want to pay to make something? If the, the government says here's the most you can sell it for and they need to sell it for more than that to make it worth a while, they'll just quit selling it. Remember, all price is is an agreement on an, a, a, a supply of something and a demand for something. We just use money to allocate scarce resources. Right, We can't supply everyone in the world with free oil. It costs money to produce it. So how do we figure out who gets oil and who doesn't? Well, who's willing to pay for it? And as things become more scarce, the price goes up. Because how do you allocate things? You sell them. You say, who's willing to trade money for this item? And a lot of people say, well, that's not fair. You can't just allocate things with money. It is the most fair way you can possibly do it. Because if you don't use money to allocate things, then you're then you're relying on some person or some body of people to say, nope, you can only have one pack of toilet paper. Nope, you're only allowed to buy two briskets. You you put these these restrictions in place, and then eventually there's not enough to go around. This happened in Venezuela. You, I don't think to this day you still cannot buy toilet paper. You cannot find it. It's not, it's not that it costs a lot. It's that it's not available. People quit sending toilet paper to Venezuela because the price that the government said, the maximum price, was more or, or, or was less than what it would have taken to sell it for the toilet paper manufacturers to send it there. So what do you do? You just quit sending toilet paper there. And so you're already seeing this in, uh, in Europe. They're implementing uh, price caps on energy. And we all know what happens after that. Shortages. So uh, I'm going to be doing a Belarus update. I don't know, probably another two, three, four months. We'll probably start seeing some shortages if he sticks to his guns. Who knows? Um, who else? Turkey's probably not too far behind it. These people are having crazy inflation. Imagine the price of bread going up four or five times in a month or two. That's probably not exactly where they are yet, but I bet they're not far from it. All right, I'm going to play a clip from one of my main homeboys. His name is Milton Friedman. He was an economist from back in the day. I think he probably died in the 80s, but he was an older guy. And the way that he sees things and the way that I see things are almost identical. Now, I don't know if that's because I was taught to see them a certain way. I don't know. 
But I want to play for you this clip. It's about two minutes long, so so just just chill out. And this is what he says about wage and price controls. Yes, sir. Uh, my question on was, uh, was economists have been speculating the issue of reestablishing price and wage controls. Uh, I guess you just commented on that. Uh, would you like to elaborate on that a little further? <laughs> I am afraid that the chances that we shall have price and wage controls are unfortunately not negligible. It is a device that governments have repeatedly resorted to to try to cover up the effects of their own policies. It is offered as a cure for infl inflation. It is not a cure for inflation. It has never been a cure for inflation. It is an alleged cure that is far worse than the disease because its effect is to repress the symptoms, to repress the consequences of the more basic force. I always say that if you want to analyze wage and price control, the simplest analogy that brings it home is to think of a kettle on your stove in which there's water and the water is boiling. It's got a cover on it and the, the boiling water is threatening to throw the cover off. Now, obvious sensible thing to do is to turn down the heat under the kettle. Another thing you can do is to take a brick and put it on top of the kettle. <laughs> and at the same time turn up the heat. <laughs> that is precisely what President Nixon did in 1971 when he simultaneously put a brick on top of the kettle by freezing prices and wages and at the same time launched on a more expensive monetary and fiscal policy which turned up the heat under the kettle. And what happened? The lid of the kettle blew up, you held it down for a little while and then you had a 12% 13% inflation. That has been the experience every time, not simply over the last 20, 30 years, but for 2,000 years. Emperor Diocletian tried the same thing in Rome 2,000 years ago with identically the same results. So I have nothing but, uh, but a negative opinion about wage and price controls. You know, what, what's bothersome to me is that we're so, we're so Team Republican, Team Democrat, that we can't look at these amazing economists and say, you know what? We better listen to what Milton said because he saw it all go down. He's seen it happen in the 70s. He's seen interest rates go to 19 or 20% to curb the inflation that we had. But people get so caught up in team left and team right, and conservative and liberal. And because, because most economists see things from a conservative standpoint, and I think that that's because... I know I'm going to get a lot of hate for this. I think conservatives are better with money. I know, I know, I know. You're saying, yeah, Bill Gates is rich. He's liberal, and and I got a friend who's he's liberal and he's rich too. I know you probably do. That's anecdotal, but for the most part, if you have money questions or you have you need advice, what to do with your money, who do you go to? Think of all the people that you know and think of the people that you know that are good with money and the people that you know that are bad with money. And this is not a secret. We, we don't have to know how much money someone has to know if they're good or bad with their money. If you don't have good credit, you can't go buy a car because you don't have good credit, you're probably not good with your money. If you are living in an apartment 
and you're in your 50s and you make decent money. Well, unless you have a specific reason, then you're probably not good with your money. And I'm not trying to single anyone out or, or engage anyone in anything. There's a spectrum, right? There's people who are really, really good with their money. There's people who are kind of good with their money. There's people who are average with their money. There's people who are terrible with their money. If we could take all those people and put them on a spectrum, I feel like if you go on the right side of the spectrum, the good side, people who are good with money, it's going to be mainly Republicans. But because there's so much conflict between Republicans and Democrats, the Democrats refuse to listen to people like Milton Friedman because he was a hardcore conservative economists we've got to start putting pride down we've got to start saying like okay we, we get it we're not that good with money okay we're uh we're, we're kind of uh we're kind of not so good with money we don't really own businesses that much we don't really you know and that's just the way it goes that's fine the there's two different types of brain types there's the there's the critical and the analytical and the number side and then there's the art and the free thinking and the, you know, the, there's that type of person too. And the sooner that we can admit these types of people are better at these decisions and these types of people are better at those decisions, then we could probably get some, get some stuff done. And I don't know, I don't know, I'm just thinking here off the cuff. I don't know if it would work, but maybe we could establish some sort of system you know, and, and these people get to make the decisions that have to do with money. And these people, they get to make the decisions that have to do with where bathrooms go in schools. And unfortunately, you only get so much money to work with. So at some point, the money's going to have to be allocated. Instead of us voting on, do we put bathrooms in schools? We just say, hey, we want to give this much money to the people who make the decisions about whether or not to put bathrooms in schools. And we want to give this much money to the people who decide how we handle our money and our monetary policy and the way that we stimulate the economy and what we do to throttle the economy. We, we don't need people who, who care most about abortion to figure out what to do with our money. I know that sounds bad, but that's just the way it goes, at least in my opinion. You're, you're entitled to your opinion. You may think that just because somebody cares more about abortion than anything else, that they're just as good with money. And maybe you're right. There's no way to know. Just remember, price controls, not too good. Very, very bad for economy. Got them $1.9 trillion relief so far. Okay, moving along. Moving along. No, no, no more Biden whispering for the time being. I have one question for you. Who blew up the damn pipeline? We had a huge pipeline get exploded. And nobody knows who blew it up. Lots of speculation. Could be the U.S., could be Russia. Or I have a theory that it could be the guys who own the company called Gazprom. Now, Gazprom is the largest oil company in Russia. It's state-owned. Basically, it's controlled by the government. And they spent about $10 billion on this pipeline. Now, when I say they, I don't mean just, just the company. I mean, the company plus a bunch of investors. So they spent $10 billion in this pipeline. It's been sitting there for, I guess, the one half of it has been sitting idle. It's never even opened. And the other half, they shut it down. Russia shut it down because of the whole sanctions thing on, on natural gas and oil and whatnot. So the pipeline exploded underwater, a couple hundred feet deep, I think, maybe 
maybe not that far. I don't know. And no one's taking credit for it, which is funny to me because remember back in the day, well, of course you don't remember, I don't remember, but World War One, World War Two, something would happen and people would just take credit for it. Vietnam, I think even like, yeah, we, we blew up Quezon. Yeah, we did that. It's us. But here we are. We're all secretive about it, you know. Whoever did it doesn't want to take the blame, and I don't understand why. Well, I might. So going back to my theory, which, you know, it could very well be in the U.S. I don't think it was Russia, the the State Department of Russia, but it could have been Gazprom because they got a $10 billion asset that's just sitting there not producing income. So maybe they made a deal with someone to blow it up in exchange for some insurance money. I don't know. I wouldn't put it past those guys. But I also wouldn't put it past Biden to go have it blown up, which is so weird to me because if you go back and listen to, oh, man, I don't even know, a a bunch of shows ago, I used to kind of give Ted Cruz a hard time because he didn't want the pipeline to go through. And I thought, dude, why do you want, who cares? Let, Let Europe have their natural gas. And then later, Biden signed the deal. I think it was the day he won the election or the the day of his inauguration, I think he may have signed the bill to allow the Nord Stream pipeline to continue in Europe. And I don't know why it required his authorization, but for whatever reason, he authorized it to continue. And when they asked him, you know, why did you shut down the um, the pipeline coming from Canada to the U.S., but you authorized the pipeline going from Russia to Germany? And he said something along the lines of, well, it was pretty much pretty much finished anyway. I could easily be convinced, and I get it. This is just a right-wing conspiracy theorist in me coming out. I could be convinced that Biden was in on that pipeline. He had something to gain. It got shut down. He got cut out. He's like, you know what? Screw you and your pipeline. I'm blowing it up. Of course, we know we know it wasn't Biden. That guy couldn't. He couldn't blow up a balloon. But he could talk to someone that could get it blowed up. And whoever's in charge of Biden could talk to someone to get it blowed up. That's just a theory. We'll probably never know, but I do like to speculate. So in my theory, uh, most likely would probably be uh, the Russian oligarchs. And then like very, very close number two is Biden did it um, because he got screwed out of the deal somehow. Keep in mind they got lots of business deals going on over there in Ukraine. The Bidens do. It's not it's not a secret. They just don't talk about it. But it happens. They're over there getting stuff done with Ukraine. One of the most corrupt governments in the world, according to I don't know, somebody who matters. We passed the look, what I ran on, I said we're gonna deal with energy. Right. And and the energy problem, we're gonna deal with the whole notion of global warming. We passed $368 billion worth of help, which, as the same bankers talk about, is going to bring a billion, a trillion, seven hundred million billion dollars off the sidelines investment. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. Can, can you repeat that number once again for me, Joe? Billion, a trillion, seven hundred million billion dollars off the sidelines investment. That's entirely uncut and unedited. All right. Enough Joe Biden for one day. Day for crying out loud, Brandon. Be nice to him. He stutters and he's old. All right, we'll we'll move on. We'll move on. 
We'll move on to talk about the woke culture. Woke. This is this is how far we've come. This is this is where we are today. All right. There's a guy named Larry Elder. Larry Elder's a black guy from California. He was a talk show host and he ran for governor. And I don't know if he's going to run for other office, but he's a black conservative. He was called. I think he was called the. The, the black face of the KKK or something, they <laughs> they accused this poor guy of being a pawn for all the racists. And so the guy just kind of runs with it. He, he makes memes out of it. He thinks it's kind of funny. I think it's kind of funny. I think it's funny that they that there's no response. You're starting to see a bunch of people who are black abandon the idea that all black people have to be Democrat or that all black people have to vote together. We got to be together so we can vote together. We are together. We stand together based on our skin color. We want equal rights for everybody, but we vote based on skin color. You're starting to see a change from that, which I think is good. I don't think we should vote based on skin color, regardless of whether it's white, brown, pink, purple, yellow, black, whatever it is, we should not vote based on skin color. And so you're seeing these guys like the Candace Owens, uh, Larry Elder, uh, Brandon Tatum, these just guys who are speaking out, guys and girls who are speaking out against the, the narrative that all people of color had to vote a certain way, which is great. It's silly to think that they should. But what's funny to me is that they don't, they don't really have an attack because used to the, the liberal who attacked the people who said that well, they just called him racist. They just said, well, you're just racist. And you have a white guy going, well, I just I don't think it's good when when black people think that they should vote for other black people just because they're black. And they're going, well, you're racist. You just want black people to leave the country. And he's going, not really. That's really how I feel is that we should not vote based on skin color. And so whenever a black person comes out and says this, they don't really know what to say. They're kind of caught off guard because you can call a black person racist, but you don't really look too smart when you do that. So they came up with names for this Larry Elder guy that was like the uh, was the black face of white racist or KKK or something. And so he kind of has fun with it. He makes the memes and jokes and, you know, he, he posts things that gets him all riled up, which, you know, okay, it's kind of tiring at times, but at other times it's funny. And so he posted a picture of a payday candy bar. I don't even remember what platform this was. I think probably Instagram. Who cares? doesn't matter. Posted a picture of a payday candy bar. And then underneath it, he put something along the lines of, Payday has officially declared that they're going to change the name of their candy bar because they don't want to make unemployed people uncomfortable. Or something along those lines. And of course, it's a joke, right? Of course, Payday didn't change the name of their candy bar. But hold on a second. At the bottom of that post, there was a disclaimer in red that said, this claim is not true. Click here to see the fact checking. And I'm the, the light bulb went off in my head. Bing, bing, bing. And I thought, wait a minute. They... They feel the need to put that disclaimer on there because there's a chance that we could think this is real. You see, number one, they think we're that dumb. And number two, 
Maybe it's not that far from reality. Maybe it's not that far that if Payday did decide to change the name of their candy bar, that they would say, well, we just don't want unemployed people to feel uncomfortable. And, and we wouldn't, maybe we wouldn't think that's so weird after all the things that are happening. So it's just telling to me to see this guy make this, this meme, this shit post about Payday changing their name as a complete joke. And then the, the Instagram having to put a disclaimer saying that it's not real. This is fake. We are literally living in a world where people feel the need to put disclaimers on jokes so that the stupid, stupid minions and peons of down below don't think that it's real. So can you now see how continually sheltering people from having to make their own decisions ends up being something that we all rely on. Because we remember, if you don't let people make decisions, they won't learn from their mistakes. They'll just keep wanting to do a behavior. So then you it requires some foreigning, some governing body to oversee people and to make sure they don't get bad information and make bad decisions. And they stop them before they do anything that could be dangerous to themselves. And eventually, we all rely on fact checkers. We don't believe anything unless it's got some stamp of approval or disapproval on it because we've never taught ourselves how to discern our own information. And this kills humor, among everything else. It, it, it makes it so that jokes, all jokes just become... Well, that's not funny. Bing, bing. I love it. I love it. I'm sitting there tweeting. Bing, bing, bing. You press a button. Bing, bing. They all hand you checks. Bing, 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 bing. We had our beautiful Marine standing there. Bing, 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 bing. You know, in the old days, bing, bong. You know, with the map? Bing, bing, bing. Little mouth on him. Bing, bing, bing. Bing, 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 bing. Bing, bing, bing. They're cleaning up. Fix it up. Bing, bing, bing. 14-point plan. Bing, bing, bing. Anthony Weiner. You know, the little... Bing, bing, bing. Everyone's attacked me, has gone bing. Everyone else, bing. Where have they gone? Bing. Wow, what a tackle. Bing. Playing cards, bing, bing, bing. Those tunnels, bing, boom, right under the toilet. Bing, boom, right up. Bing, like a rocket ship, except in the wrong direction. I'd fly over, drop them right on top. You know, just bing. They want me to use the pump, because the other one, which I really like better than going bing, bing, bing. It's like puppets. Bing, 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 bong, bong, bing, bing, bing. The bing, bing, bang, bang, bong. I was imitating puppets, and I said, maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. Bye. Such a good clip. That is such a good clip. Trump going bing, 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 bing. Oh, man. What a character, you know? What a character. It's okay. It's okay to laugh at people and hope they win. I promise you. It really is okay. It is okay. In all actuality, how do I feel about Trump right now? In case you're wondering, I feel like it's a good time to talk. Um, I don't care. I, if he doesn't win, DeSantis will. I, I don't know. I'm sure he's going to run. I don't know who he's going to pick for his running mate. I will vote for whoever the Republican candidate is. So I don't know. I've learned my lesson before about not voting for somebody and then getting someone worse because I think the person I voted for was worse than their opponent. And I learned my lesson. Luckily, it wasn't the hard way, but I learned my lesson. So, because it will be Trump or DeSantis, probably, I will vote for either one, whoever it is. Do I think Trump is going to bring an element of unity 
to our country? No. Do I think DeSantis will bring unity to our country? No. Do I think Joe Biden brought unity to our country? Nope. Do I think Barack Obama brought unity to our country? Nope. So, I'm not willing to vote for unity because it's not the president's job to bring us together. It's our own job. It is the job of you and your neighbor and your coworkers and your cousins and your cousin's fiance and all the people around you that you seem to be at odds with. It's up to you to figure out how to not be sideways with them. And until we can accept that, until we can start saying, you know what, it's my job to not be divided. You know, we just we get in this this echo chamber, this this spiral of the media telling us whose fault is what. And instead of accepting it on a personal level, we look for someone to blame. This is the same way I feel about racism. Racism is something that cannot be regulated by laws. Racism is something that that you can't win, you can't end from, from protesting. Racism is something that has to be dealt with. You have to see someone who does something legitimately racist and you have to confront them and you have to say, hey, we don't, we don't really do that around here. And I'd be willing to bet that not many of you listening have seen that at all, maybe your whole life or, or not within the last 30 years, if I had to guess. And that shows us that racism is going away. Our culture is changing. We are accepting people based on their skin color. We're not going backwards. We're not going back to the 60s unless you tell innocent people, you tell non-racist people that they're racist long enough, you tell them what they have to do, who they have to like, what they have to say, who they have to give their money to, and what will you end up with? A group of racists. All right, one more thing to talk about, and then I'm going to end this. i got other things to do. There's a guy named, I think it's John Fetterman, F-E-T-T-E-R-M-A-N or M-E-N, Pennsylvania senator, congressman. I'm not sure. I'm not sure which one. If I cared enough, I'd go look. But he suffered a stroke, and he's running for re-election in November. And he's not quite back to normal yet. And it's been a touchy subject for a lot of people. But what I've noticed is that just like everything else, all of the people who support him, which are Democrats because he's a Democrat, are saying, he's fine. He's on his way to recovery. And when he speaks, he kind of gets things mixed up a little bit. He stumbles over his words. He has to have, he sat and did an interview with, I don't know, NBC or someone like that. And they had to have the ladies text transcribed into a screen and put right in front of his face because he doesn't quite have the cognitive ability to process words as they're incoming fast enough to to respond and it makes sense on on tv so they put a big screen in front of him and i watched the interview and she's asking him questions and he's reading the screen and you know it's not very fluid um for the most part i think he did okay but i watched some other speeches of him messing things up and all the Republicans are going, he's out of his mind. Get him out of there. Get him into the home. And I think that that is clear for someone like Biden. But for this guy, I'm not really sure yet. But here's what, here's what I'm sure of. Is that what would it hurt for him to sit out a term? What would it hurt for, for him to be like, you know what? I want to do the best job for my constituents. I want to, I want to do the best job for Pennsylvania. 
And so I'm just going to sit out for four years. I want to make sure, because this guy's not old. He's, I don't know, in his mid-late 40s, it looks like, maybe early 50s. So how bad would it be? Why doesn't he have the wherewithal to say, time out, I'm going to sit out for four years? What it, he just doesn't want to give up his seat. It's so important to him that he doesn't lose the election. He's willing to just run and say that he's fine. Every time he speaks, he's got his wife standing on the stage next to him, just like sitting there looking at him. It's so awkward. But I'm of the opinion that we should put people in power that are the sharpest minds, that are the strongest personalities, that, that do what they think is the best and that can process things quickly and have high intelligence levels. But this guy's not, not that because he had a stroke. And what I don't like more than anything is the backlash that the right's getting for expressing their opinion that he's not fit to serve. Because remember, their opinion is that he's not fit to serve. That's their opinion. And so instead of saying he is fit to serve, and here's what he's doing that's proving that he's fit to serve, the people who support him are saying, you're just a bigot towards, you know, stroke victims. Or you just, you're looking for an excuse because you want his opponent to win. And maybe they're right. I don't know. But it seems logical to me that you would combat the 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 accusation with facts to back it up. But they don't. It's just like two kids are just sitting there pointing fingers at each other. And this is why I think that it will never will never get back on the same page until something catastrophic happens. And as much as I hate to say it, that's just that's just my opinion. You know, whenever you have a group of people and they go through something difficult together, they come out the other side with a with a crazy strong bond and and different respect for one another. You look at the groups of people who've been stranded on islands before, lost in the mountains together, and some people died and some people lived. Those people have a bond that's that's like nothing else. Like no, no one else has that. And so I'm of the opinion that it's going to take something like that to bring our country together. It's going to take some sort of catastrophe, and then hopefully we'll emerge on the other side smarter about what we did in the past, what worked, what didn't work, how we need to move forward. But it seems kind of foolish to think like, well, that that can never happen. We're America. That can't happen to us. Because as you grow bigger, your problems grow bigger. Just like the great Diddy used to say, mo money, mo problems. And when you don't put people in power, who are good at making decisions, then you end up with a bunch of bad decisions. And that's where we're at. That is where we're at. Uh, so I would encourage you guys to go go look at some videos. I, I didn't want to take the time to go put the videos up here and play them and all that stuff. I had enough of that to do today. So go look it up. John Fetterman, Pennsylvania. The guy's weird. He wears like hoodies everywhere, which whatever, that's fine. I You know what? I kind of prefer that to wearing a suit and tie. But... He's very unconventional, and yeah, you decide. Go look, go look at some videos of this guy, and you decide whether or not we should support him running for office. That's all I'm going to say about that. Either she's homeless or she got problems. That's the only reason why she run to a black man. So don't mess with me when it comes to words like that. All right, homies, I think that's all I'm going to do for today. One hour, four minutes, ten seconds. Before I chop it up. 
I'm wondering if I need to change my non-pre-recorded intro to instead of 30 to 45 minutes, say hour to hour and a half. I don't want to I don't want to box myself up though to doing longer podcasts. I recently thought about coming in like every night just doing a little short one. Would you guys rather have sh- a bunch of short ones or a long one on Sundays? All right, I think that's it for today. I got to go do some studying. I got a test to take a week from tomorrow to get my insurance, life insurance license, which will lead to my Series 6 license and then my Series 63 license and then my Series 65 license so that I can be a financial advisor and I can give you advice. And if you contact me, I can say, yep, I don't mind giving you some advice. I'm certified. I got my certifications. So... I'll be studying for the rest of the day. I might jump on a podcast with my cousin homie, Harry, Old Dog New Tricks. If you've never heard that podcast, don't ever go listen to it. It's just two gorillas talking about nothing, most of which won't make sense to you. But I do appreciate you listening to this podcast, Life in Paradise, only show on the interwebs that has nothing to do with the title. I'd like everyone to have a great week. Go out there, wash your car, enjoy the cold front, Rake up some leaves, drink some hot chocolate, and most of all, pay them more. I couldn't help it. Thanks again for listening to Life in Paradise podcast. You guys have a great week. When you don't believe.